InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. With sports betting on the rise nationwide, those prone to addictive behavior are getting hooked on gambling, especially those in their teen years. How can parents recognize addiction in teens? With the story, here's InfoTrack reporter Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Dr. Timothy Fong is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the Jane and Terry Semmel Institute for Neuroscience and Human Behavior at UCLA. Dr. Fung, I believe the current number of states is 37 that have embraced sports betting quite strongly in a relatively short amount of time. Obviously, it's all about the money, right? Yes, it is. It's also about responding to what the American public wants, and the American public wants gambling and access to gambling in a very rapid fashion. Gambling addiction also appears to be on the rise. Is that correct? And who is most at risk? Well, it depends on how you want to define that. We don't do a lot of epidemiologic surveys to tell us about incidence and prevalence rates of gambling disorder. What we have seen, though, are more calls to the helpline, more demand for treatment for gambling disorder or gambling addiction. But actual prevalence rates is hard to come by because we really don't do those large studies. But definitely the people who are most vulnerable includes those with prior addictive disorders, those with untreated mental health conditions like depression, anxiety, trauma, and really anyone who's at risk to develop addiction. So for instance, if you have family members that have addictive disorders, that's a risk factor. So there's a whole host of risk factors, but the way I think about it, basically anyone who starts gambling could potentially develop a disorder unless it's checked and worked on It seems like a lot of the marketing and so forth is directed towards young men, teenagers. Is that accurate? Well, you look at the advertising for gambling, and we see radio, print, television, social media, digital, and see a wide variety of target audience, you know, basically anyone with eyeballs, basically. But I do see a disproportionate amount of advertising for sports betting geared toward audiences that like that. And by using former professional athletes and current popular culture role models combined with gambling to really target to that audience. How does sports betting differ from other forms of gambling in terms of an addiction risk? That's a great question. Originally, people said, for instance, are slot machines riskier than, say, blackjack or the lottery? What we know is that all forms of gambling could potentially lead to gambling disorder. In the past, over the last 25 years, people tended to drift towards slot machines and video poker machines as having, quote, higher risk of developing gambling disorder. Well, now we know that that's partially true, but really any form of rapid form of gambling activity is elevated risk. Why that's different now with sports betting is you can bet on sports 24 hours a day. You can bet on sports constantly, whereas 25 years ago, the betting on sports It was much slower. It was harder to get bets down. You had to drive somewhere. So really, one of the risk factors to developing gambling addiction is how frequently and how intensely can you gamble. And if you can gamble 24-7 on your phone with no end in sight, that's a risk factor. It's not widespread yet, but there are some well-known universities that have signed deals with sports books or casinos to advertise on campus and in athletic venues, and in some cases directly in students' university email inboxes. What are your thoughts on that, and will that eventually become a common thing? Well, number one, it's a fascinating question to say what was actually happening in the conference rooms when people decided this would be a good idea. 
So clearly there's been pushback because, number one, there's a legal ramification. This is a 21 and older activity. It's not meant for 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. So for any organization, a school, a university, a workplace environment, to be promoting that to underage gambling is technically illegal. So that's number one, is seeing people pull back from that. But the larger question really is, how are we viewing gambling in our daily lives? Is it part of the recreational environment? Is it part of just our daily lives? Is it like breakfast, lunch, and dinner? So I think the larger question is really looking at how are people portraying and promoting gambling either as a part of our lives that we want or as a part of our lives that we need. So one of the things with schools absolutely moving forward is that should this even be a thing that schools, high schools, colleges, and universities be even promoting? Do they do that for alcohol? Do they do that for smoking? Do they do that for cannabis? Do they do that for highly processed foods? They really don't. So I think it needs to be folded back into the same box as all those other potentially addictive behaviors. What are some of the most common signs of gambling addiction, especially in teenagers? Well, if you have 100 people who develop gambling addiction, you're going to get 100 different stories and 100 different signs and symptoms. But the first thing is always going to be this. When continued gambling creates harmful consequences, whether it's physical, psychological, social, or financial, it's going to be different from person to person. Gambling at its core is supposed to be about recreation, about fun. If someone's gambling is creating damage, harm, concern, fear, anger, doubt, frustration, and they keep gambling, that's a potential harmful sign. We'll look at things like, are you starting to lie about your gambling? Are you starting to chase your losses? Are you starting to do things against your character and moral code to finance your gambling, such as taking out larger debts, stealing money, borrowing money from people, hiding about the extent of your gambling. So the single question is always for me, the starting point is, is your gambling activity bringing more joy and increasing your quality of life? Or is it bringing you harmful consequences? If it's harm, that's where it's beginning to look like it could be a sign of addiction. Our guest on InfoTrack is Dr. Timothy Fong, clinical professor of psychiatry from UCLA, and we're talking about the explosion of legalized sports betting across the U.S. You kind of touched on risk factors a few moments ago, but are there certain personality traits that maybe put someone at a greater risk of developing a gambling addiction? You know, there are. And again, people ask this all the time. What are the risk factors for all addictive disorders, substances and gambling addiction, biological risk factors, psychological risk factors, social risk factors? So biological risk factors are going to be like genetics and certain medications or head injuries, right? They increase your vulnerability to addiction. But the psychological risk factors, that's your personality. That's your makeup. So we know that men and women with high levels of impulsivity, men and women who have difficulties dealing with losses, men and women who are very much reward-seeking and want instant rewards quickly, they're more prone to develop signs of potentially addictive behaviors, including gambling disorders. So it's a whole host of things. And just because you have those personality traits will not make it 100% certainty that you develop this disorder. It's just like cancer, right? You can have all the risk factors and some reason you don't get cancer or some patients have no risk factors and they end up developing cancer anyway. So gambling addiction is similar in that way, but some of those personality traits. And ironically, and this is really important, in treatment, we don't try and tell people that your personality traits are faulty or wrong or damaged. 
We instead say, let's use your personality traits to make your recovery even stronger. Let's use those personality traits to make success and growth in life even better. What can parents do to try to prevent the start of addictive behavior in their teen? I think, number one, it starts with having conversations and being involved with your child's view on money, view on games, and view on dealing with losses as soon as you can talk to your child. I'm talking elementary. I'm talking about junior high youth. I think for parents, they have to have a very firm and consistent rule in that household. Will you allow gambling or not? Again, it's a 21 and older activity. That's up to parents to have a firm statement about whether they will allow that or not allow that. I think also parents need to teach young kids about financial literacy, about what the ramifications are about taking out loans or credit cards, about how unlikely it is to make generational wealth or spectacular financial gain from just gambling. The gambling is not a solution for you financially. And I think these are the conversations that parents oftentimes are afraid to have because they haven't quite had it for themselves. So parents getting involved early and often, talking about money, talking about how to deal with losses, how to deal with when things don't go your way is super important. And I'll give a quick example. I had a patient last week, a young man, 17 years old, who had about $80,000 in debt that he had accrued from gambling and he had attained that money from friends and from credit cards he had gotten from online payday loans he was able to secure. And much of the reason he had that debt was he was afraid to tell his parents about the debt he had accrued. So he kept gambling in order to eliminate that debt. But the more he gambled, the deeper the debt went. So an example where he really wasn't financially literate to understand what it meant to take on more debts and credit cards and online payday loans. And the shame he had about talking to his parents about losing was enormous. So I think for parents, that's part of the strategy. We've now evolved where parents say, hey, if you're drinking and driving, you call me and I will pick you up, no questions asked. When I was a kid in the 80s, that wasn't true. Now, I think we need to evolve that as well for money and for parents to say, hey, if you spend money in something and you drive up a debt, you tell me right away. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to help you navigate that because you're still a young person learning the ways of the financial world. Professor Fong, tell us about the help that is available for someone with a gambling addiction. Well, fortunately, throughout the United States, many, many states have publicly funded or no-cost treatment programs for gambling disorder. You can access it by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's a national helpline for anyone who's concerned about their own gambling activities or a family member or a loved one. In addition to 1-800-GAMBLER, for anyone interested in more information about gambling and gambling activity, take a look at our UCLA Gambling Studies Program website, which is uclagamblingprogram.org. Secondly, if you can't find any of those resources, I would encourage all people to go straight to their healthcare providers, a pediatrician, a therapist, or primary care doctor, someone who can help start them on that journey to find the right specialty level of care. Do you have any final thoughts on where this is all going? Is it likely that all 50 states eventually legalize sports gambling? So if I could foresee the future, I wouldn't be in gambling studies, or maybe I would be. (laughs) But I think in the last five years, we've seen how fast our country has changed in this landscape of sports betting. In just five years, we've gone from no states to, as you mentioned, over 35 states. We don't anticipate a federal response 
the federal response so far has been this is a state's issue. But I think we're seeing more and more discussion that gambling is a public health issue. It's no different than air quality, water quality, food quality, alcohol, tobacco. And it's really, you want to call it financial health, if you want to think about it that way. So I think that's where we're headed, is to embrace this conversation, to say, hey, gambling, we've now chosen to be part of an American society, and we accept it. It is no longer a sin. It's no longer a vice. But how should we entertain gambling into our lives? How do we embed it? When are we going to start teaching people more about how to handle it in proper ways? How do we get people with early intervention? As an example, by the time people come into treatment at our UCLA Gambling Studies program, it's really severe. It's almost like metastatic cancer, very, very severe damage. We're trying to figure out how do we get men and women to come into treatment at a much earlier stage of their addiction within the first few months rather than waiting four or five years later. Dr. Timothy Fong, Clinical Professor of Psychiatry from UCLA, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, how to increase your lifespan by 12 years. That story, coming up. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this. 